when it comes to Yennefer, even I have mixed feelings about her. So I can only imagine how the other characters have also got mixed feelings about her because she's, again, she's the morally gray character in here. There, well, we've got a lot of morally gray characters in here, but she's definitely one of them because she, she swings back and forth between doing the right thing and then doing something that's completely self-serving, right? And she nearly destroys the world based on her own personal anger and anguish and need for vengeance, right? And, you know, as a result, she loses her powers. And so I I thought that that was very poetic because it's like, you know, you were warned the entire way that this could destroy you ultimately if you continue to pursue this path and now you've lost it. Welcome to The Story Thinker, a Webtoons and Witcher podcast for superfans with scene-by-scene analysis. Featuring sharp co-hosts for a fuller picture, we dive deep into character psychology, relationships, and theories. We'd love it if you could like, subscribe, comment, and rate us on all podcast platforms and social media. For bonus content, you can support The Story Thinker on Patreon. Let's begin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode six of The Witcher podcast. Episode six is called Dear Friend, and today I am very excited to have Patty, who is a super, super regular guest on the podcast, mainly for Midnight Poppyland. And uh, I'm going to plug Patty because she has so many cool things that she does. Patty, besides for obviously all the podcasts, Patty does fanfic, she does analyses, she does like other book recommendations, which are actually pretty interesting. Yeah. There's a genre of book that you like. You always have these artfully arranged pictures. So check out <laughs> Patty's Instagram and the, I'll link her, you know, fanfic. It's not Witcher fanfic, but still it's really good. So there we are. All right. Well, maybe, maybe someday I'll get into Witcher fanfic. Who knows? Um, sounds like it's pretty prolific out there too. <laughs> um, so hi everyone. I'm Patty. Um, and, uh, it was so funny when you were talking about doing this podcast, uh, I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. I want to do it. Cause I, I love the Witcher. Um, my first love in any kind of like reading is always fantasy. Fantasy was my first love. It's it's my diehard and like because I told you guys that I'm very recent to romance, right? But fantasy is my jam, right? Um, what's really interesting is that I didn't know anything about The Witcher until the TV series came out. So because I was I was never a gamer. Sorry guys. Um, so like I didn't play any of the video games. Um, I, while I own the first book. Uh, the Last Wish. I don't own all of the books yet, and that's and I haven't read them. So I'm all of my insights are completely based on the show right now. Um, however, I do plan to read the series, but I'm a little bit of a book snob about it because I require my books to be hardback. And right now in the states, you can only get them in paperback, and it drives wow. me crazy. Wow. <laughs> so, I, I also didn't know you were such a snob like that. <laughs> I, I am I am and and that's not to say that I don't own paperbacks like like I have some where I, I will just read them and then I donate them but in terms of like things that I want to keep in my collection I'm very specific and I've also acquired a very awful addiction to special edition books as you can see on my Instagram <laughs> but but no I'm very excited to talk about The Witcher um this is one of my favorite shows um it kind of hits all the points for me so uh really excited to talk about this episode too there's a lot going on 
Yes, and Patty, I have to say, is a whiz at psychological analysis. You work oh. in the mental health field, and it shows because you're really good at that. So I'm very excited to hear. Yeah. So yeah, so let's get into it. And just a reminder, we're, you know, to the audience, we're, we're grouping it by storyline, so it's less confusing. So, you know, storyline by storyline. Yes. So we're starting out with Vesemir interests. So basically what happened now is in the last episode is Geralt um, apprehended Vesemir trying to uh, inject Siri, the wisdom mm -hmm. of which was very questionable. And, and you know, now he kind yeah. of wakes up and he's like, I've been a fool. And, you know, they're trying to, he's talking to Triss and he, he figures they must have gone to Neneke. And then, you know, here's where a lot of people are like, something doesn't make sense, but let's give, uh, let, let's make some assumptions here. He basically, um, Tris says, oh, her blood, you know, what we made is more dangerous than we know. And then after yeah. that, which timing is a little weird, but after that, Vesemir clutches his medallion, he sends his magic, and we have Rience or Rience come in. He mm -hmm. is the um, firefucker, as so eloquently described, <laughs> comes in, battles, surrounds Trith with fire. Vesemir, like, breaks a broom, fights him. You know, they have this whole thing. He's over right. overpowered, and uh, Rience disappears. Mm -hmm. So... But a lot of people have said, you know, the timing is weird. Like, how did Rience know what was going on? How did Rience know that this vial, because, you know, later. Right, right. But <laughs> theoretically, if he was waiting in the shadows, he could have heard, you know, Tris say, okay, this blood is powerful, blah, blah, blah. Yes, the medallion did start ringing afterwards, but. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where maybe the books later on might clear it up, assuming that this is not just completely made up in the story, right? Um, but yeah, like, I, I will say as someone who hasn't read the books and is just purely looking at this from the from the show standpoint, that does look a little suspicious. And I wonder if we won't get like a flashback or something that indicates how he discovered where she was. Um, or, or that this vial of her blood was something that they were even looking at. Um, so, but what I, what I find was interesting about that scene outside of our, our firefucker that decided to ruin everything. I loved the conversation between Triss and Vesemir because, you know, it really looked at, like, they really had, like, Triss was, uh, she was reluctant for him to do this to Siri. Um, but you could tell that like he was looking, Vesemir was looking for some sort of hope, right? They hadn't created a new witcher in eons, right? And this was the first time that, you know, they found somebody who, you know, like she's fighting, she wants this, right? Siri wants this. Um, she may not understand why she wants it. And I think she's a little on the naive side in, in terms of what it entails, right? Just why Geralt is like, no, you don't need to be doing this. Um, but I think, you know, in that moment where he, where Vesemir saw Geralt, like, what the hell are you doing? And stopping him from doing this and stopping to have that conversation with Siri in the last episode, she, uh, he really starts to understand that there's a bigger dynamic at play here and that they need to not be so impulsive, right? Um, but this conversation between him and Triss, like, I, I, I thought it was very endearing. Like, I, I still haven't quite figured out what their relationship is. They seem like a, a father-daughter kind of dynamic, but I don't know how they know each other just yet. And maybe I missed that, but 
Um, yeah, when when she arrives at, at Tris, when Tris arrives at Kermorian, they mentioned that after she healed Geralt, Vesemir was so grateful that he invited her to Kermorian, and as soon as that's mm-hmm. where the relationship started. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she she's definitely been kind of like a staple there, and I loved, I loved that like when she swept in, like if you notice, and I know I'm getting a little off track here, but um, if you noticed, like when she first visited the the witcher layer as i like to call it <laughs> like it was very before she did that it was very cold it was very you know cool tones and things like that and then she sweeps in and like all the warmth that just kind of sweeps into the the cinematics and you could just tell like her visits are the kind of thing that kind of breathes life into the witcher den right mm-hmm. um, but you know it it I find it very endearing that while both of them thought that, okay, we're, we'll do this because this is what she wants, they didn't stop to think, like, does she know that what she's really getting herself into? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought it was totally irresponsible on so many levels. I mean, yeah, we discussed yeah. the last episode. A, yeah, she, she's too unknowing to really agree. Mm-hmm. B, like, if you kill off the source of elder blood, like, the, it's risky enough for... You know, sure, regular, sure. And this is apparently your only source of making elder blood, and you're killing her, potentially killing her off. It's, yeah. You know, at least try it on, like, I don't know, an animal first. <laughs> like, I, right, I guess, right. Um, well, and, and then you don't even know. Like, it, it's, you're so right. It's such an experiment because they don't know, like, what if you do this Witcher thing, uh, this Witcher experiment with elder blood? Like, we don't even know what that ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right. One of they the, get the, I mean, you know, we, we learned it first of all in the anime Nightmare of the Wolves, right? That that the uh, mages are the ones who had the knowledge and they were killed. So like, who has the recipe? And like, Ultras had to do with like do some do some you know incantation. But how did she know that? Right, right. Well, and if you think about it, um, Siri really has like a triad of powers here because we know that she contains chaos. Um, we know that. Now she has elder blood on top of that. So she not only has these magical abilities, she has elder blood. And then on top of that, can you imagine taking those two very volatile things and creating a witcher? Because one of the things <laughs> that we have seen about the process of becoming a witcher and, and what it does to a person emotionally is it deadens their emotional uh their their ability to feel things right because they have to go do you, through do you think that's true i thought it was like um a thing that they made up to like i don't know make themselves feel better make people fear yeah. them or whatever i i think i mean ultimately i think some of it is true but i also think that they play a huge role in that because they don't i mean if you think about it they go through and they do this job over and over and over again and you kind of have to steal yourself when you do that kind of work um, because people die along the way, even despite your best efforts. And you can't, you can't let emotions get in the way when you're in the middle of a battle, for sure. But what we've seen is, is that it's not entirely true because Siri has been slowly creeping into Geralt's heart very slowly but surely and you can tell there's like little moments and little glimmers and we saw it last season with Yennefer right um 
but can you imagine like someone who wants to like if we're coming from my psychological perspective someone who's in a lot of emotional pain like siri right she's lost her entire family she's lost her kingdom she's basically an orphan on the run with this person who has essentially adopted her um that she's grown close to um but ultimately she has a lot that is unresolved and one of the major things that happens with chaos that we saw with Jennifer last season is that when your emotions are out of control, it's very destructive, right? And so she she sees becoming a witcher as this thing that will help me contain what I am, help me contain and hone and and become this weapon that I can control, right? She she believes that it's a form of control, or at least that's how I see it. But I mean, when you look at it from the big picture, can you imagine someone who has the mage powers plus the elder blood, and then they become a witcher that is supposedly unfeeling, a, a an even bigger weapon? It's like the triad of weapons. Right, and yeah, who knows what it'll, it'll do to her. Right, <laughs> right. It's making their decision even worse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like, to me, when I watch The Witcher, one of the overarching themes is how do I maintain my humanity with the powers that I have? There's so much inhumane things happening in this world that this is kind of the way to like, we have to pull ourselves back in, you know, and, and how do I maintain my humanity in spite of such awful things? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That was just my kind of take on that, that on that moment and that that moment where you know kind of circling back around to the original point of Vesmir and Triss having that conversation, that was that very real uh human moment of like we almost really fucked up. Mm. Yeah, I know and we are criticizing the decision, but it, it was mm-hmm. definitely born of desperation for sure on Vesemir's part. Oh yeah. So yeah. It was impulsive and, <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to talk about a man who probably hasn't had, had hope in mm. forever, right? Decades. Um, so, I mean, I, I get the, the temptation of it. She could be very powerful. Um, she mm. already is very powerful, but you know, you're right. It's a very impulsive decision. Yeah. So one thing that I also liked about the scene was that mm-hmm. as soon as, you know, all this happens, Tris yells, she's like, Lambert! And it's just funny because apparently, and it's apparently played up much more in the books, there's a pretty uh-huh. antagonistic relationship between her and Lambert. They're always like ribbing at each other. And oh, that's great. So, so that like when push comes to shove, when she's like, you know, needs help, she just like calls for Lambert. She didn't call for any of the other witchers, <laughs> she calls for him. <laughs> so again, I don't know the books. I don't know if there's supposed to be a romance eventually between them or if it's just like friendship or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I just noticed that. <laughs> I, well, and I've heard inklings about, you know, people got really up in arms the first season because of the whole, like, hyped up relationship between Yennefer and Geralt, and people are really saying, like, Triss is his true love, and I'm like, <laughs> we've just been introduced to her, <laughs> you know, and it, clearly yeah. there's history there, right, but, you know, it's it's, I think it's one of those things where Geralt, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, he's really moved beyond his, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit with his romantic relationships. You know, he's he's a dad now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
All right. So um, moving on, basically, you know, eventually he's stable. And then they discuss, uh -huh. you know, what, um, you know, they make fun of her, like, oh, you're kind. And then, then she realizes that, um, that he, he took the, uh, the bottle. The vial, yeah. And, and then we move, we shift to seeing Rians with the bottle, right? It's a very nice right. transition. You know, she realizes, she's like, oh, she's like, oh, fuck. And then we see him with it. Yeah. And he's talking to Lydia and he wants to meet her boss. And Matt, I have to say, kudos to Rians. Um, He is so spooky and creepy. And oh my God. <laughs> Skin crawling. Skin yes. crawling. Wait, oh. He kind of reminds me of the, of the Doppler because both of them seemed like well, the doctor much more so, but he doesn't seem to have like his own personal humanity. Like he's just, he's just mm -hmm. this like pure, I don't know, mercenary evil. Like he doesn't seem to have any morals or like personal goals. He's just like, I don't know. He does, he does have some personality. Like mm -hmm. the, the doctor seems to be like much more, I don't know, impersonal and like psychotic, but sure. um, yeah, he, he's, he seems properly evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we got to have a true villain in here. Right. Um, and you know, uh, and we have multiple villains in in this world, right? But he he is the big bad this season, um, and and so I I do you know even though don't get me wrong I love my morally gray characters and, and all of that but sometimes you just need a true blue demon. <laughs> sometimes you just need somebody that you love to hate. <laughs> and and he is the epitome of that oh my gosh like he just he is purely driven by his own desires like he is pure incarnate evil so, so and, yeah and what happens now wait does it happen wait does it happen now or does it happen in the next one never mind yeah it's in the next scene we got it's in the next episode sorry okay well it, it was another thing showing his evilness but um another character that also intrigues me i'm not sure i suspect she's also pretty evil is lydia she uh -huh. she plays she plays her character really well of like this nonchalant uncaring um also just like very pretending everything is very frivolous right right yeah. yeah, so basically, um, she tells him, you know, you need some help, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and I have these savage brothers who can help you, um, get, you know, apprehend her in the temple, and right. um, so that's going to be coming up, and back to Vesemir and Triss, we have, um, Triss tells Vesemir that it's gone, and she has to go, she runs away, and she is, um, we now see Tissaia in Eretuza, smoking a pipe, she's looking at the Yen posters, right, the wanted ads, yeah. because, you know, Yen basically betrayed her massively so yes <laughs> <laughs> and I have a feeling she's conflicted like she doesn't know what to think because she really liked Tian but now she's like I, I don't know if she necessarily thinks Yen is working for Nilfgaard or Yen is just this unreliable selfish narcissistic person who is just completely sure. independent you know only loyal to herself basically I don't know what do you think to, what do you think to say as feelings are on Yen the problem is like when it comes to Yennefer, even I have mixed feelings about her. So I can only imagine how the other characters have also got mixed feelings about her because she's, again, she's the morally gray character in here. There, well, we've got a lot of morally gray characters in here, but she's definitely one of them because she, she swings back and forth between doing the right thing and then doing something that's completely self-serving, right? And she nearly destroys the world 
based on her own personal anger and anguish and need for vengeance, right? And, you know, as a result, she loses her powers. And so I I thought that that was very poetic because it's like, you know, you were warned the entire way that this could destroy you ultimately if you continue to pursue this path and now you've lost it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's one of the first things to say I told her right? When she tried mm-hmm. to, um, you know, kill herself back when she was a student, when she sure. first came to, to Aratusa, she was like, oh, at least I would have had control. And Hosea was like, you didn't have control, right. you lost control. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's always been very, very passionate. <laughs> yes, yes. And I get it. I mean, from a psychological standpoint, when you're abused in that way for so long, it makes sense that, you know, she doesn't have control of her chaos, right? It, it's her emotions rule her, right? She goes from very, um, you know, very endearing to, you know, in a split second betrays the people who, who are closest to her simply because she's in pursuit of her own, her own, like she wants her own destiny, right? She's, she's always wanted to break free of the convention her, her big theme, I think, and what her character arc is going to represent is freedom, not only from her past, but from herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not free in any stretch of the imagination because even though she, she bounces from place to place and does whatever she wants, she's not emotionally free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would really like to see that about her. And of course we know, we'll find out a little bit later in the episode that of course she has another one of those kind of um impulsive drives and ha- kind of has nefarious intentions here in this episode yeah yeah like long story short i don't blame people for like second guessing her and not really knowing if they can trust her mm-hmm. yeah and it's definitely setting up i mean the last scene kind of sets up and a potential antagonistic relationship between the and so yeah, so anyway, Fusea is, you know, looking at this poster and then Tris comes in and she comes in and she's kind of like panicking. She's like, I am loyal to you. And which I thought was an interesting line. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? I'm loyal to you. Like, I, but her loyalty was not in question as far as I know. Right, right. But, and she's like, I, she tells a drop of her blood can change the world and in the wrong hands, she will destroy it. Right. So I will say I was a little disappointed in Tris's behavior last time when she um, like really freaked out after that and she comes here you know like siri is a teenage girl she's clearly someone who wants to do the right thing and right, she needs right. support at the time and you're the adult like you, i feel like after this really scary dream you should have been there for her and say okay we're gonna help you figure this out we're gonna you know right, yes, right. have this crazy power but like we're gonna work through this and she just like leaves her okay fine Daryl took her but like her reaction right. was very it was panicked yes like, I feel like I would have expected Tris to contain her panic and, and comfort Siri. Yeah, yeah. Because she was she was kind of the steady voice of reason throughout the last couple of episodes. And I'm like, I, I think maybe, you know, from a narrative standpoint, I think maybe that's the story trying to tell us that, you know, Tris has her flaws. Mm. You know, she, she may be a very knowledgeable mage. She may be, you know, kind of that steady voice of reason, but even the people who have steady voices of reason have their moments, you know? And I think this is something that the world has never seen before and it scares the crap out of Triss. Um, This is so beyond what anything she's ever seen before and they don't know what to do with it. 
So you have mm -hmm. all of these adults, right? And this is the trope that I love from my teenage years. You have all <laughs> of these adults who have no idea what the fuck is going on and what to do. But this teenager is either going to destroy the world or save the world. <laughs> that, that really, that is, by the way, every young adult fantasy novel. <laughs> Teenagers saving the world. I'm currently in the middle of reading one of those myself. Oh, <laughs> they're so good. They're so good. It's like the people with the least life experience and the most volatility. We rely on them to save the world. Right, right. And then, and and yet, I will say, I know that it's it's a narrative trope, but I will say that I have worked with some like later aged adolescents, like 16, 17, and 18 that they honestly surprise me in their maturity you know that they may be you know because obviously i'm a therapist so you know working with some of them they're obviously going through their own struggles but what's interesting to find is that these teenagers that are struggling it's actually because of the adults in their life mm. <laughs> a lot of the time and i'm like hmm, interesting because they usually have to grow up pretty fast mm. um so could i see it actually becoming a thing where a teenager saves the world i don't know maybe Maybe, and that's, maybe that's why we fantasize about it, but. Yeah, well, I have more thoughts on that, but we should probably go back to the episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> so for sure. Just a bad discussion. So <laughs> now let's talk about Istrid. So Istrid is curious, so he wants to do some research. And I, I love this whole scene, it's really nice. Oh, I know. Well, there, so it reminds me a lot of Harry Potter, right? I don't know if it, it struck that vibe to you, but it did. It, it did, it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he goes to this place called Codringer and Fun. And, um, you know, there's this old man there surrounded by a billion books. And he's like, you know, they banter back and forth. You know, you want knowledge. Knowledge is, is expensive. And Isrid's like, he's so funny. He's, he's like such a typical, you know, nerd. And he's like, he's like, oh, oh yeah, I didn't know you had this book. I didn't know this book still existed. You know, <laughs> he's so cute. Oh, I know. I, I loved that as a book nerd and as a knowledge nerd myself. This is, I think this was definitely the comic relief that we needed in the moment because so much of the episode was like, bam, we're going to hit you with all the bad stuff. And this was the kind of the levity that we needed. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love the, uh, the scene where he's like, yeah, you ought to be careful about touching those things. You know, it might, it might take your hand off. <laughs> I yep. get a kick out of that. And so the characters like, were great. So yeah, so we see him there, he wants information. And then, then we see his, his wife, I guess. Yes. And, um, you know, first he thinks it's the cat, but no. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they, they find out, and I have to say, by the way, I know a lot of people are like, it's always a big issue with like, oh, representation, blah, blah, blah. I think it's fantastic that they put a differently abled person there. Um, I think it's great. And I think it's super important. So I am. Yeah, I love it. I love that. it. Um, I actually loved the banter back and forth between these two. And they're like, yes, knowledge is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they make such a good couple, right? Like they just I, probably poke each other all day long. Yes. Uh, oh god the banter was so good I mean you know I'm a sucker for banter <laughs> um but I, I love how they just kind of tease them and they're like they're kind of like um it, it kind of had like a Lord of the Rings feel too where it, it's just like oh you want knowledge that's going to cost you <laughs> <laughs> I great. loved it so much so much and they find out a lot about what's going on a, a little bit later in the episode um yeah so right so basically he tells them he has a, there's a mysterious girl power mm -hmm. monolith and he wants to find out information and um <laughs> one of the funny lines is like how could we get answers faster more sarcasm 
more sarcasm. Yes. Oh my God. I died at that moment. Like, cause they're just going at it and uh, dude over here, he's just like, wait, can we get back to the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically what they find out and some, sometimes it felt like it was a little bit um, confusing, I'll be honest, but yeah. basically they, they deduced that there must be a gene in the centrum blood. They call right. it Leish, Ard, Rath, Ard, Lara. And they realized that the elves built a weapon or warrior to be against humans called Lara Doran. And then there's this prophecy that they read, a baby will born and shall die and my curse will hound until the 10th generation till columns of space and time tremble and open for my people. So that's the curse. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't even begin to tell you what I think about that prophecy. I just know that like it's very doom and gloom and <laughs> she has come forth to end all things and like remember what we were talking about earlier about you know can you imagine someone with this kind of power we don't even know what kind of power she can have because of the elder blood right it's mm -hmm. so far beyond i mean i've i've gone a little bit into episode seven of course but it's oh, man we don't even know where this is going to bring us yeah, I know for me that the first thing I always think about is like, okay, so if, if Siri is, let's say, 10th generation, whatever, and she's the curse, like, how does a curse happen? Again, okay, this is within the Witcher framework, but like, mm -hmm. I always think that a person's choice, you know, a person either can choose to bring it about, like, Siri is obviously a good person, and she doesn't right. want to kill all of humanity, or else right. either. So like, how would that happen, something using her power without her choice? Oh. Right, right. And so... I'm wondering if there's something about it, you know, because again, like you bring up a great point with choice. Um, I wonder if there is someone who's supposed to be like the guardian of her power or, you know, or if there's something where like, I don't know how to explain this, but like when, when all of the, the, the keys are in place and then the mechanism starts to like come together, like, is there something that just takes over who Siri is? Mm -hmm. You know, because yeah. I've, I've seen that before where like sometimes the powers like obliterate the person within um, because we know, like you said, Siri doesn't want any of this destruction. She wants to help people. She just wants to be, she just wants to do something good in the world because so much of, you know, and I think she felt helpless in a lot of ways too uh, in the previous season and she's trying to find a way not to be helpless. And, you know, so she's kind of searching for her own freedom as well, just like Yennefer is. Um, I, I do wonder based on what happens, I keep saying this later on in the episode with Yennefer, I do have to wonder if she plays a role in that. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because Probably Yennefer doesn't have the best of intentions. <laughs> well, okay. So, you know, let's just discuss it when we get to it because yes, yeah. I have what to say. But before we get to Ian and Siri, we're, let's talk about Angela and Francesca and Tahir and what's going on in Sintra. So oh, yeah. basically we have Sintra is looking beautiful again. It's not like destroyed anymore, or at least what we see. So we have um, Angela and Francesca are strolling along this beautiful lake. People are walking around. It looks really nice and peaceful. And, you know, it's like the refuge for the elves at last. And Francesca is uh, reviving the roses as she's walking along. And she tells that, she tells Frangella that she used to go flower picking with her mother and then her mother died and then she would revive the flowers. And then when yeah. her father caught her, he tried to lead the village in a crusade against her. But luckily the village was not into that and Gage 
held her brother Gage held her father down while she stabbed him in his throat and statue in her honor. (laughs) Drama. Yeah, talk about that. Well, and it's it sounds like and and forgive me because it's it's not the same as reading, but when I watch this, I'm thinking like, is there something in her past, like her father didn't know that she was an elf or had these powers? Or... I think um, he obviously he knew she was an elf, but he didn't know she was a mage. Not all mage elves. Oh are yeah, magic. Okay. I was so like, how do you do that uh, against your kid? But and, and this just goes to show you that no matter what what um, being they are, mages are seen as these like, oh my god, get away from me kind of things. Like people are just afraid of them. So I don't know if mages in general have that reputation, but I, I don't know, maybe if in, within elf society and mages, because in human society, mages are like, you know, leaders, basically. Um, I don't know if maybe in elven society is different or, or if he's just an intolerant jerk, like if it was yeah, her, her father, because true. the village was excited, right? The village built a statue in her honor and she became the leader of her people. So mm-hmm. it could be just that her father was a particularly yeah. un-open-minded, narrow-minded person. <laughs> I feel like there's more to that story and I'm, mm. I'm wondering, you know, what that'll look like, but I find it really interesting. Like as they're having Fringilla and her having this conversation, you know, she's like sitting there bringing these flowers back to life. Um, and it's such a contrast. Cause like, she's been having, she's been having difficulty conceiving. Right. And bringing a, a child to full term and she's able to bring all of these other things to life, but she can't bring her own children to life. And like, talk about devastating and just oof. you know that this is but I, I I love the relationship that she has with Frangella because here are these two women who you know are in relative positions of power now but have largely been secondary to other people um and have tr- and have together they've actually become you know the leader of this this new uh world with elves and and i love that because so many and and this is just a gripe of mine like so many other shows and books and things they pit women against each other right Mm -hmm. it becomes this like tit for tat we're going to compete kind of thing um but i love that that wasn't done here and i love that they they actually come to their own freedom and their power together Mm -hmm. um so i just i love their relationship and i hope i hope that it doesn't get and there's some foreshadowing later in the episode and I'm really hoping that yeah. it doesn't turn sour uh, I'm not too hopeful on that front but I know, I know. <laughs> we'll see but yeah I, I love it too and you know especially to see Frangella because Frangella was so unrelatable last season she was so frigid oh yeah and so emotionless and she's really showing a lot of vulnerability and humanity in this season um she does it so well I, I thought she did it she seems to me like the kind of person who is very distrustful and that's why she hid her emotions oh, yeah. away. and yeah. that's why she put on a very blank slate kind of front oh yeah she couldn't trust anybody and now she's like loosening 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 it's mm-hmm. great yeah and and she's she's able to kind of see the fruits of her labor like even even the end of this conversation that they're having she's like because Frangilla is still very deferential to her her boss right um and you know uh, she says to her you know it's it's not him that my people see Mm -hmm. you know welcoming them and feeding them and and nurturing them it's you 
and that means something, you know, and I think that that's huge for Fringilla, you know, when she's been kept in the, this, I mean, let's be real. The mages are kept in captivity as this like sword to wield for these leaders and these Kings. And, you know, this is the first time I think Fringilla has seen the possibility of being a leader in her own right. Yes. And, and it's definitely a big, a big part of her story. This, this whole, this whole season is like <clears throat> coming into her own power and believing sure. in herself. Sure. And uh-huh. something that's interesting, I, what Francesca says to her, she's like, you know, mm-hmm. she's, they talk about how Aratuza taught them about politics and persuasion to make the, the right. kings think that they're in the, the monarchy, think that they're in control and really you're pulling the strings. And right. Francesca says like with Kahir, you're different when he's around, smaller. And yes. I have to say, like, I love Kahir. He's probably my favorite character. Besides for maybe Yaskir. They're both really <laughs> up there. I love I love Kahir from all my twisted, you know, tormented soul reasons. But anyway, uh, different discussion. But um, Kahir is a lot of it. Um, he's not a bit of a jerk. He's a lot of a jerk. And um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting. One thing that I noticed with, with people like that. So Kahir is very confident, right? And he just like takes control and, you know, very authoritative and says what he wants to do. And I think, yeah. with, you know, he's going to have a conversation with Fringella, which does show he's um, considerate. But a lot of times when people are very strong-minded personalities, they uh, unintentionally sometimes overrun people with, with uh, less loud personalities uh-huh. and I know that both my husband and I are very very loud and um, I know I have to stop myself sometimes and be like okay let other people talk let, let other people you know put an input into their decision like don't just like take charge and say okay let's do like this like this like this right away like I'm bossy so yeah you know and that's definitely what's happening Frangela is more timid for whatever reason you know she was very in control last season and very like oh we would do this but compared to here, she's definitely not as forceful so right. And I think Kahir probably doesn't even notice how much he's being like, you know, overriding. You're you're probably right about that. I'm. I, I'll, I'll admit I did not get a chance to watch season one again before I watched this, so I guess my reaction to him is a little bit more cold. But I can also I can also see your point of like he probably doesn't realize he's doing these things and like he's a one track mind. He's got their mission at hand and. You know, Frangella has been, you know, even though she's been sidetracked, you know, this has been a really important sidetrack for her in both development of her character and, you know, her own emotional needs. Because she's had to, like, put them at bay for so long. But, yeah, I think you're right. Their their dynamic is definitely one of, like, here is, is much more, like, he, he's the, the dom. I mean... If you want to look at it in terms of how they're presented, he's the white man. He's the white yeah. man and she's the black woman, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and while those that. politics don't really play, I don't know that they really play in The Witcher, but it's it's a way to communicate to us that, you know, this is a power, this is a power shift dynamic. And I just I don't know. I'm not as inclined to be as nice about Kahir, and maybe it's because of my own <laughs> biases, but I, I am Team Fringilla. <laughs> no, I irrationally totally fell in love with Kahir. So mm-hmm. I know my 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 heart is over my brain right now. And uh, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> so right. but I will I will in defense of Kahir, the conversation they have next does show he's not a complete asshole. He's only sometimes true. True. He, he tells her, um, he says, you know yes, the way the elves are treated is despicable and, and I'm happy, which which is so funny to me because like 
It's the one sympathetic thing he says, like in his life. But anyway, right, right. You know, I don't know that, that he knows how to be sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'm happy that we could provide them, you know, with a safe space here. But like, don't forget. I, and I know you didn't forget your mission. You just got distracted. So the way he phrases yeah. it, it, a real jerk who has no empathy would say like. Frigilla, you're forgetting, you know, about our mission. What's wrong with you? And he doesn't do that. He says, you know, I'm happy we could provide something for the elves. And I know that you didn't forget. Right. Like, we just have to remind you, like, let's focus on our mission. So mm-hmm. I'm happy. That, that's my, I, my defense right here. <laughs> I'm struggling with his, his character a little bit. And it may, maybe it's just because I'm like, he's always the one who comes in and just, just, uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> Uh, he's always the one who comes in and just kind of bulldozes the hopes and dreams and is like <laughs> all right that we get we got to refocus we got to do hey don't forget your mission and all this and I'm just like dude can we be happy for like five seconds <laughs> it's hilarious because usually I'm the cynical person that's like oh, yeah. comes in and I'm like all right guys we got to think about this realistically <laughs> so it's kind of it's good for me to kind of see how that feels and how that looks on the other end you know Okay, so so I will say, season one, he was portrayed as, like, a psycho, right? He just, yeah. like, you know, killed everybody and, you know, went to Doppler and he killed all those random people in the inn instead of just uh-huh. testing him with silver. So psycho, psycho guy here, right? And then season two, we see him vulnerable. We see him, like, a little bit of, you know, a lot bit of a fanatic in the jail. Yeah. And then what really turned me around on him was the um, interaction he had with Yen and their experience running away together and especially... Sure my favorite scene of all time where he you know comforts Yen she's like oh I lost everything blah, blah. and he's like you were amazing at sodden and you know we mm-hmm. all have our time in the sun so I'm actually curious because I was like when they were you know when he like grabbed her and he's like you were amazing at sodden I was like huh are you romantic what did, what did you think yeah. of that you know I here's the thing when you're in close quarters like that when you're in the I've almost died kind of thing <laughs> You know, I, I think it's it's easy to fall into that that romantic kind of um, like we almost just died kind of thing um, where you get that that immediate attraction. I don't know if that's something that's going to play out later on. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. But it seems like there's so many characters that are in love with Yennefer. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> she's like the toxic person that you yeah. really shouldn't be with. <laughs> Well, Kahir's pretty toxic too. That's why I think they're, they're like, Daryl is too good for her, honestly, right? But yeah. Kahir, like, they're both, they have a lot of nasty sides to them. I think yeah. they could do quite well together. <laughs> yeah, they, well, and that's the thing, like, some, some people do this thing called trauma bonding, where mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they fall, they both have similar baggage, and so they're like, oh my God, we can connect and we understand each other and they fall hard and they fall fast, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's very this very roller coaster relationship. And I think Yennefer had that with Geralt because they both had baggage. And now you've got Kate here with with Yennefer, like they've got that little spark, and I'm like, oh my God. Like I want someone to like, don't get me wrong, I love Yennefer. And I want someone to walk in and not be completely enthralled with her. I want someone <laughs> to be like, the hell is your deal? Like, call well, her says that all the time. So right. he calls her an evil witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even he's kind of he was nice enamored with her in a, in a kind of, they have like a brotherly and sisterly banter, which I love. Yeah. I, I love. But, you know, I think part of what Yennefer's going to have to do, and I know I'm getting off topic, but... I think part of what Yennefer's going to have to do to earn her freedom is 
eat some humble pie. Mm. Well, she did this season, but then she went right back to. <laughs> well, <laughs> she did some nice things this this season, which um, you know, she tried to save little elf children and whatever. But sure. anyway, let's let's go back to what happened here. So, um, Dara, by the way, passes by. You know, Kahir tells her, mm-hmm. you know, the girl was last seen in Sodden, right? And then yeah. at that moment, Dara happens to be passing by, so he can relay this information to you know, Redania. How convenient. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and um, then we see Francesca talking to Phil Evangel and she's like, you know, preparing the little the crib for the baby and, you know, house training. Our people know how to kill. And she's like, oh, our people know how to defend themselves. Right. So, yeah. Um, Francesca feels like the elves have always been the victims, which apparently in the books, um, it's really not so much that way. Like, everyone okay. that die in the books, like, all the races of creatures are like, you know, all equally fighting each other. So mm-hmm. apparently in the TV show, um, they wanted to make the elves more sympathetic, but everyone that I read said that they're, <laughs> they're just as bad in the books. Yeah, but, okay. um, <laughs> so um, they talk a little bit about how everything feels more vulnerable since Kahir mm-hmm. arrived and she's like, I'll take care of it. So I find it interesting that both of them, like both Francesca and Frangilla have this conflict because they like each other and they want to work together. But like, both of their sides are putting pressure on them to like sure, sure. diverge. You know, they're not really happy about the deal that they made. Yeah. Well, and that's a sign of a good compromise is that nobody's happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. And here is, uh, there's this, there's speech that Bill Evangel gives, which frankly, mm-hmm. I'm going to call it, um, I don't know if I should get political like this. I'm going to call it a feminist wet dream. Okay. Now, yeah. Because he basically tells her, he's like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to ask you what you need of me. Right. And it's like, I know in women are always uh, a lot of, you know, women who are are into this kind of stuff are like, you know, men are always telling us what to do. And like, you know, we just want them to support us. And like, they should just ask us how to support us. Like they shouldn't, you know, assume that this is how they can help. They should say, what do I, so it was like a little too, um, not in character. And like, it just seemed like it was felt a little artificial. Yeah. yeah, like, I'm sorry, I've been married for a while, and if I ever made a speech like that to my husband, like, maybe when we were newly married, and I was, like, enthralled, but, like, no one talks like that to their spouse, like, you know, like, you, you're, like, you want to be nice, and you're, like, okay, how can I help you, but, like, it was just, whatever, very dramatic, and not, yeah, <laughs> there, there's, well, and, and this, this episode has a couple of things that kind of gave me a little bit of an eye roll, but yeah, this, this scene was definitely one of them. I mean, it's, it's, it's supposed to be sweet and endearing and they're talking about having a child and whatnot. And, and I get, you know, when, when I look at it in, in the lens of, you know, this is a couple that, you know, they have been trying to lead their people for so long and, you know, they've been trying to, you know, have a child and, you know, I, I think it was meant to be a tender moment. And like you said, it's kind of a feminist wet dream of like, hey, you know, I'm going to do whatever you, you, it's kind of like that. While I love that moment in Lord of the Rings, but it's kind of like that moment where everybody's like, I, you, you have my, my bow and my sword and my axe, you know, it's, it's just kind of meant as like, kind of cheesy warmth, I guess. And so I'll, I'll accept it on its face value for that. I guess, I guess the reason why I think it also doesn't ring true to me is because uh-huh. Bill Mandrill's got to be some kind of saint because he was the king of the elves before and he right. led a failed rebellion against, you know, Calante or whatever. And yeah. ever since then, and Francesca tells him this directly, she's like, you failed and that's why I'm queen. 
for any person to mm. have failed at something and then True. their spouse, and I don't know which was first, and then their spouse becomes a leader because they failed. I would feel like they probably have like a lot of insecurity and resentment about that. Yeah. And so for Phil Vandrell to, to just be completely like, oh, Francesca, you're amazing and let me help you. He's like either perfect, <laughs> it's just like, or not he's not telling her the right? truth. Like how, or he's like, I don't know, dead in his feelings or he, it doesn't make sense to me that the kind of person who would be a leader is just mm -hmm. so able to, oh, it's all like peace and rainbows now. And Francesca, you can do it for me. Like, I feel like there should be some agony, some conflict, some insecurity yeah. on his side, you know? Yeah. And, and who knows, maybe we will find that out, but yeah, there, there was definitely a, a personality shift with that. <laughs> um, it could also be that he's just, you know, cause, cause Failure for men is difficult, especially failure in something they're supposed to be an expert in, like battle, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe, you know, he's in this, this side of like, maybe he's feeling like maybe I can't do this, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's feeling not emasculated. I don't want to say that because that doesn't feel like the right word, but like, maybe he's feeling sorry for himself. And so he's deferring to his wife who's kind of taken the reins, right? Mm -hmm. um, will there be resentments down the road? Probably, you know, there might be something that comes up where, you know, he mentions, you know, you know how I said I was a failure and then mm -hmm. maybe they get into an argument. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe he thinks like, after she has this baby, I can go back to being the ruler and the king. She's going to be focused on this baby. I don't know. But I don't think so. It doesn't seem to show any interest. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that, that is a, quite a shift. I don't know. I, I think honestly, I just think they didn't write his character well. I don't think they thought yeah. about it too much. <laughs> eh, probably not. Everybody focuses on the Witcher series and Yennefer. Right. So right. These side, the side characters. characters. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, your writers, if you're watching this, there's a story <laughs> right there waiting. You know. <laughs> so oh, goodness. Um, now we are we have hockey who i automatically despise talking to her here because he's racist af and he's like yeah those 20s you know they they can't do a good job like i don't trust them and like they don't fight well and like um you know yeah. why are they here and Tahir tries to defend them he's like well they're loyal because you know we gave them a land and he's like they're not loyal to the white flame they're loyal to frangilla uh -huh. and then Tahir, i think he feels like he has to do something to gain hockey's respect at that moment Oh he's yeah. So he's like, let me do something really assholey. Let me fight with a he's like, you fight like fairies. He's like, he fights with you know some random yeah. fairy, turns out to be Dara, and totally, you know, creams him because Dara's like a billion years younger than him and just started learning how to fight. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, <laughs> this this was definitely a penis measuring contest. It was a male ego, I am man, watch me. I'm his, his ego got wounded, so now he has to defend his ego. I think it's more like he has to show that he's, because hockey is obviously like major asterisk, right? And he, yeah. um, you know, is very against the elves. So, and Tahir just defended them. So that's like minus a point with hockey. Yeah. So now he has to restore the point with hockey. So he's back on the same equilibrium, you know? Yeah. Which is, by the way, I'm convinced that like so much of politics and organizations mm -hmm. and institutions and whatever, it's just all these weird relationship dynamics of like, oh, you yeah. have to dance, dance that you have to do, right? It's Yes, there's a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance and showiness. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah. for sure. 
So I love there. There's a lot of great lines throughout The Witcher, and this scene has one of them. Um, Cahir's like, "You fight like fairies," and then Philvandrel finally gets like fed up, and he you know puts a knife to his throat, and he's like, "Impossible! Your kind kindled them all." <laughs> Luckily, the aggression does not continue because Francesca's having her baby. <laughs> I know, I know. And listen, like when we go into this scene and the the person who's by her uh, Francesca's side is Frangilla. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, like her husband's obviously late to the punch, right? He gets there. Um, but when the baby is born, so I, I want your take on this. Cause I'm not sure what to think. Like part of me thinks that Frangilla used her magic to revive that baby. Oh, really? Interesting. I do. I do. Okay. Um, I don't think it was intentional though. Uh -huh. I think, cause you know how sometimes they talk about how chaos kind of does its own thing. And that when you, when you have strong emotions, it can kind of do its own thing. I'm wondering if it was an unintentional use of her magic because she was hoping for the child to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking like, she claims that she did not use magic to help the baby, but I'm wondering if she unintentionally used magic to bring the baby back to life. So I feel like if she had, the show would have like wink winked at us, the audience, to show okay. us. I didn't see that, so I don't mm -hmm. think so. Um, and yeah, and she did such a good job of like that relief on her face and that happiness. You know, it's probably sure. to feel a smile. She was so happy. I loved it. She's like, you know, no magic, just just warmth, just warmth. Which, by the way, is like obviously like a metaphor for life. How warmth slash sure. emotion is, you know, a powerful force. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I love how she goes out to announce it to all the elves, and they're all so happy. But she is so happy. And sure. you know, the person who's been without connection for a very long time and without yeah. friendships and without warmth, right? You know, mm -hmm. and and now she she's just finally there's something to smile about. And it's such a nice moment for her. Sure, sure. And there is kind of like this this theme in this episode of like the feminine divine, right? And we'll get into more more of a reason why I think that later, but like notice that the people who have their heads on straight in this episode are all women <laughs> and that all the people who are kind of like getting themselves into impulsive decision making most of them are men so i i for me i really saw an elevation of you know uh, of women when they come together they can they can be helpful to each other um and of course, towards the end of the episode, it, the, it falls apart a little bit, but I think there's something more to it going on and I'll get into that. But I just, I, I found it very interesting, the, the relationships between women in this episode. You know, it's interesting. I'll tell you what, like I have a very, I, I recognize within myself, I grew up in a very patriarchal society and mm -hmm. I moved away from that and I went into the Western world, which to me is like super egalitarian right and i obviously that's um you know my approach is egalitarianism like everyone's equal right and just, right and i try to i don't notice um like i try not to on purpose because probably because it upsets me to me it's like oh everything's fair everything's wonderful because it's such a shift from the way i grew up and it's sure to me it's like night and day so like when i look around the world i'm like i see everyone is equal so i don't think too much about like oh this is men this is women because mm -hmm. It bothers me. I, you know, I, I want everyone to okay. be equal. 
but it could, but I, I'm aware that I <laughs> probably overlook things because of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, well, I mean, I'll see how it plays out. The thing that I do love about this show is that it, it definitely plays with power dynamics and mm-hmm. it doesn't like, I'll be honest with you, Siri in season one annoyed the hell out of me, but I <laughs> love that she's kind of coming into her own in this. And I think a lot of female characters are kind of coming into their own and they're, they, they are, they do have, you know, equal treatment in a lot of ways because you know we've got our morally gray female character we've got our evil female characters we've got our our hero female characters so i i like that there's that balance in there too so you're right about that right yeah like when i see kahir and fendilla i don't see it like kahir being a man and fendilla being a woman i just see like kahir and fendilla like you know that stuff like that or i see to who's a very strong person like i don't see it like a strong woman she's just a strong person you know? Right. Anyway, that's my yeah, thing. Fair enough. But yeah, um, and and speaking of more defensive Kahir, uh-huh. Kahir says something <laughs> very nice now. You know, they are um, they're overlooking this pavilion. It's a really beautiful uh-huh. scene. And they're watching all the elves celebrate like fireworks. It's really pretty aesthetically. Yeah. And Kahir says, you know, the last time I saw people being so happy was when the usurper was overthrown. Which I want to get more history on that. Why? Because actually, speaking of. Um, right. Why I also feel simply for the hero I'm interested in or intrigued by him, I guess, is that we know that um, the usurper was apparently very nasty, right? and the mm-hmm. people were did not like him, and he kept Fringilla in this cage where she was basically like raped all the yeah. time. She and other mages, so obviously I can understand why she is loyal to him. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why Kahir is. I know that when yeah. he was. Um, you know, having that whole interaction with Yen, he says, you know, what was she I found in my brain? And like, we are, we serve Edmir because he served us first. So I'm like, okay, what did he do for you, Kahir? Like, why are you? Right, right. There's some backstory Um, there. Yeah. So I'm really curious to find that out. But anyway, so that's the last time he saw this so much happiness. And, you know, Frangilla says it took her a while to feel anything, which totally makes sense. You know, she had to deaden her emotions. Um, So now, yeah, that she's like very, very cautiously like elating them. And Kahir praises her. He's like, you did this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> he said um, But he has been practical afterwards. And he says, I wonder what this will do to our alliance. Uh-huh. And I hope I'm wrong. So again, I do think that he's not stupid to notice yeah. that the elves are not exactly so happy about the, what they agree to, you know, to serve in the army. And sure. again, he, so... I, I mean, I know like people don't like the bearer of bad news, but he turns out to be hundred percent right. <laughs> <laughs> I get. I mean, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. I mean, I I can definitely understand from a logistics standpoint that there's there's still going to be tension between the humans and the elves, right? Mm-hmm. The, it's it's a historical thing that has been going on for eons, so there's no way that there isn't going to be tensions, especially when the elves are being put in a subservient sort of situation, right? We give we give you this city back, but you have to like you have to fight for us, right? Mm. And yeah. I, I think those tensions will come to a boil at some point. Um, yeah. so, I mean, he's not he's not wrong there, and I would hope I would hope that they would give Fringilla the benefit of the doubt, and maybe that she can be the counterbalance to that. I don't know, but well, maybe I'm I mean, hopeful. 
Yeah, there, there's some discussion at the end of episode eight that, you know, leads into this, but whatever, it's episode eight, so. We'll yeah, I was going to say, I, have, I haven't gotten that far yet. Oh, yeah? Okay, fine. <laughs> Never mind, then. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm, I'm trying. I did that. What did you watch up to? Like, did you just watch through six? I just watched through six and a oh. little bit of seven, so I have not gone even. I did that because I didn't want to spoil anything, because I have a habit of doing that. Okay, <laughs> well, well, then. We have what to discuss when you're done because everything we've okay. been discussing. Never mind. I didn't realize you didn't watch through the end. Okay. Okay. Fine. That's really That's good to know yeah. though. My <laughs> yes. hopes will be dashed. There will be a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting. I'm I'm excited for your reaction. Anyway, and the last thing that we have, well, not the last thing, a couple last things. Um I didn't yeah, the last thing we have in um in Citra is Dara. And he tells the owl, right, which is like his communication, I guess, with Renea, that Siri is the reason that, um, I don't know, that like, that they're, that they're here and that they're, you know, they took over Sintra. Right. <sighs> yep. Okay. Um, I just realized. Hold on. All right. So now let's talk about Girl, Siri, and Yen. That's our last storyline for this episode. It was intense. It was very intense. Um, but I like that it kind of started out kind of lighthearted. Um, I love Nanika. So when they come to the temple and they get introduced to her, oh my God, she's hilarious. Yeah, so I guess a little bit before we, um, let's just catch up on like the action before we mm -hmm. get again. Sorry, Nanika. Um, Gerald and Zuri have just left, um, yeah. you know, Kermorin and they're having this total teenager interaction. She's like, where are we going? He's like, I don't tell you. And she's like, I hey, loved that. <laughs> Right? You don't care about me. You just care about keeping me alive. As long as I'm alive, it's fine. All you care about is your damn duty. You care about what I want. Huff, 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 huff. And he's like, I understand. <laughs> oh, I'm God. getting my, my, my daughter is 10. Mm -hmm. I'm totally getting into those kind of arguments. And I'm like, I just see me and my mother fighting. And I'm like, oh, you're doing the same thing. I'm like, you have to stop. Break the cycle. So yeah. Hard. Yeah, my mother and I get along very well now, but like, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that's what happens at that age. It gets kind of yeah. contemptuous. <laughs> oh, God. But yes, I loved that. But I love like when they when they come in and they talk to Nanika and <laughs> the part where like you could tell like she's putting on that like, oh, dearie, you're so great. We've missed you so much. And then like you cut scene after they've talked with her. And they cut scenes to the part where she's talking with Geralt again. And she's like, I don't see in any way that you're not fucked. Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I will say, I thought there was a little too much, like too much effing all over the place. Um, yeah. Like every character does it. But I do, I do like, you know, she's like seen in many ways, like, you know, a monk, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the robes and the orange outfits. Sure, are, sure. Evil life goddess which, you know, gives you this image of like, oh, peace and whatever. But then she's like really sharp tongues. And I actually read the only uh, wish book that I read, I just read now, The Last Wish. And then it yeah. gets actually in there a lot. And she's such a funny person. She's great because she awesome. is, she's maternal and loving. And, and she's obviously there for him all the time. But she gives mm -hmm. him like sharp words and she, you know, calls him out and she tells him. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my great. gosh. But I, I love this whole interaction and I, I think it's good that they're trying to find a way to balance, you know, teaching uh, Siri about her chaos and helping her learn how to hone her power. And I think this is a good place for her to start. 
unfortunately it doesn't end up that way but um but Yennefer catching up with them I you know you know how you were talking about like how did the other dude know where they were or uh, even know where right, to find them right. this was another situation where I was like she's how did Yennefer so even know where to find them and she didn't even like knock she's just in the temple I guess yeah. they let anybody in I, I I guess so I guess so and then like she's walking into these doors trying to find I don't know what maybe Siri maybe Geralt and then she just happens to walk into the room where he's in like come on I know <laughs> yes it was a little too contrived easy yeah but um it, it was so funny because like I wasn't actually and I don't know if it's because of the the time and distance I've had between season one and this season, but I did not feel the romance between Yennefer and Geralt. Like it yeah, felt yeah. like, yes, oh my God, I can't believe you're alive kind of thing. That I felt was genuine, but I didn't feel the, I'm consumed by you because, and I think it's because he has this other responsibility now. He's his dad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. And I don't know. I don't know. I felt like, okay, so there's a lot of things that mm -hmm. I thought were, I had to honestly, I watched it again and I watched the end specifically because I was like, yeah. really interested in her reaction. So basically, we know that she's decided, she agreed, you know, bullet my ear, I'm going to get this kid and bring her to yeah. um, Sintra. So she presumably doesn't know, right, who this kid is. She just knows she has to get her. But then right. when she comes in, right, they have this reunion and then yeah uh siri comes in and it's really cute because she's like mm -hmm. oh oh i'm so sorry i'm, I'm i loved that right? moment it was so hilarious she's like oh like she just walked in on him with a prostitute or something like bye okay and he's like dear friend and she's like oh dear friend okay you know <laughs> which apparently is a reference to the books because he the, the actually in the books apparently the first interaction that we have at the end at all in this season or in the book is he writes her a letter, dear friend, and he asks her to come to, to Nalatelli to train her. Ah, gotcha. So that's why it's called dear friend, because then they, and she's, you know, upset that he called her dear friend. But I watched Yen's reaction specifically because she's like, oh, that's your kid, right? When she puts the connection yeah. that the kid she has she's to the betray child is the child of surprise. But her reaction, I don't know if it was meant to be understated, but like, it was barely obvious to me that she even realized, like, I was like looking the whole time, like Yen should have some conflict, right? Like right. Yen is not like completely uncaring. Like she cares about Gerald, right? So she should be in like sure. turmoil to be like, oh, it's either my magic or this Gerald's child. And oh my gosh, what a conflict. What am I going to do? Like there was not that agony and that turmoil that I wanted to see. There really and I, I watched it again, looking for it. And I was like, okay, I guess she was just being very understated. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I do kind of wonder about that. Or like, maybe she was just completely like, because I don't think she was expecting to see Geralt. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, but I I don't know where she is emotionally right now. Because she want, because before season one, she wanted a child more than anything, right? Mm -hmm. And then in season two here, we see that she wants her magic back more than anything. Um, and so I think maybe she's just blinded by that need. Um, and that while, you know, I think Geralt kind of breaks that spell a little bit for her because she wasn't anticipating it. Um, she's not quite recalculated how she's going to get around this because we see later in the episode that, you know, she does not have the best of intentions with Siri. Yeah, so that's the thing. And she's sitting there so calmly, you know, schmoozing with Geralt and like, you know, having like a wonderful, lovely conversation with Geralt and Siri and being very nice. 
And yeah. it's like, you're planning on betraying them all and you don't have any like angst or nerves. I felt like I should have been portrayed some like some kind of nervousness mm-hmm. on her part or conflict on her part. But right. like, she's totally sitting there calmly making unicorn jokes, which also is a book reference. You know, <laughs> apparently, oh, I, I don't know if you if you haven't like seen it, but apparently mm-hmm. in the books, they she had a stuffed unicorn that she would like to have sex on. She didn't yeah. have had sex on that stuffed unicorn. That's why she said it broke under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> you, you would appreciate that. Oh, it sounds like it. Goodness, it sounds like I need to read that book. Right. <laughs> it's in the games too, apparently. All right, good to know, good to know. But, oh my gosh. But yeah, I there's, there's something I... I don't know if Yennefer has gone back to her cold, unfeeling self out of desperation. Um, but yeah, I feel you like there should have been more conflict there because she cares about Geralt. So why wouldn't she care about Siri? But I think she doesn't know Siri. But I mean, it even it's like inconsistent with her behavior this season, too, because she was trying to help the elves. Like she tried to help, you know, uh, Damien, Jermaine, or I think it was the 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 guy who went under the, in like the tentacle creature in the sewer. And then there was this elven yeah, girl yeah. who's been torn away from her mother and she was trying to use her non-existent magic to help her. So she's shown to have sympathy this time. And like, Very she really awesome. didn't want to, um, you know, she didn't, um, you know, turn to bullets in the ear until the last possible minute until she was about to be executed really. So that was well done. But then like, why does she suddenly, she's so blase about what she's about to do. Maybe it's because like having feelings about that would get in the way of her getting her power. Okay, that's true. Because it, like, because Yennefer strikes me as the type who can shut down her emotions anytime she wants to. Her and Geralt had that in common, right? Um, and I think when she she has this one track mind, if this is something that I want. So the other the other times where she did something for the benefit of someone else, it was because she did have a strong connection to them, or she had a like this isn't going to get in the way of me achieving my goal kind of thing right um but with this like she doesn't have that same tie with Siri I think and this is just my guess I think we might get more of that conflict and that turmoil as she develops a relationship with Siri I'm curious to see if that happens again I haven't seen the rest of the season so maybe I'm wrong um but I, I'm wondering if that's what happened, but we'll, I guess okay. we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, let me know when you're done. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess just before we go on a little bit, let's um, mention, um, we start off the episode with, um, there's this Chernobyl, they want to cross the river, but there's a Chernobyl and um, he uses that, he uses Siri as bait for um, the Chernobyl to come. And then he like jumps off the cliff, you know, kills the Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. But then Siri says something interesting. She says, I don't think the Chernobyl wanted to kill me. Yeah. So that to me is like her whole, con- she seems to have a connection with monsters that I don't know if she controls the monsters or if she's a conduit or if she has some power over them or something. But like, that's definitely not a throwaway line. <laughs> No, it is definitely not. And since they haven't been attacking her particularly, but the people around her, it does make you wonder. And it it kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones mm. a little bit with, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you've got your mother of dragons. So I'm oh, wondering okay. if this is kind of her role here mm-hmm. um, and that she has a, um, 
she has kind of like a Daenerys kind of quality to her mm-hmm. where like the, except these monsters are the things that that are drawn to her maybe that's part of her power with the elder blood I don't know I don't know yeah. there's a lot to uncover here mm-hmm. so I'm yeah. sure and also, a lot of it was going to season three too right Sarita so eight or whatever probably is a you know part of the mm-hmm. whole thing um, and another thing that happens is Roach dies. So, you know. I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh no, Roach. Which I found it was really cool that that like it was wasn't cool that Roach died, but like it was interesting <laughs> the parallel between the break in with Faramir and the death of Roach. I'm like, mm. oh god, this is foreshadowing. Yikes! You oh. know. I don't remember what you're talking about because honestly, I read Lord of the Rings a billion times when I was younger, but I have not touched it since then. So, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, I don't, I don't know what. No, no, is. no. I think it's just interesting that that break in kind of happened at the same time as as Roach dying, and I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, what's going on here? So I guess we'll have to see what happens. But oh, you know, there's definitely mm-hmm. yeah at the beginning of the episode. Okay, I thought I thought you meant to th- said form Faramir from Lord of the Rings. Oh okay. yeah, Four. sorry. Okay. All these names sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So I'm trying to think what else. Uh, she also tells him, you know, it's an interesting interaction. She tells him that when the Black Knight quit her, she was scared, and um, that's and so she screamed, and then you know, um, mm-hmm. the ground split. When the boys came for her, the boys, young men, whatever came to her and wanted to assault her and, you know, give her to the night, the black knight. She screamed intentionally and she knew what would happen. Like, or she knew right. something would happen. So she's kind of like processing her guilt over having mm. killed them. Sure. And I mean, I, I know that obviously I've never killed someone, but like, I imagine that, you know, my brother went to the Marines. I don't think he killed someone either, but he doesn't tell us. Right. You know, right. and I know that for anybody who, we talked about this with, with Munia Populand, um, what was it called? Yeah. Moral- Moral trauma? Uh, moral injury, yeah. Moral injury. Yeah, so obviously she had to kill them. They were probably, they were looked like they were going to rape her, honestly. And, sure, you know, sure. They were to the Black Knight, which would have resulted in, well, we don't know, actually. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was pretty justified, but she still, it's hard. Don't it's hard to be it. a person who kills someone, you know? Right, right. You know, and, and I think that that's the hard part is that, you know, it's two opposing things that are true. You have this, side of you that that doesn't want to do harm to anyone and yet you have to defend yourself and sometimes it means you have to defend yourself with deadly means um and it's trying to reconcile those two sides of yourself that are kind of battling it out and i think really um if season one was about Geralt's hero's journey this is about series hero's journey so season two is about her journey right um, it's, it's something it would be interesting to look into. One of the things that I've always been fascinated by, uh, so Joseph Campbell, he wrote a book called, you know, the hero's, hero's journey, journey. And I love it. Absolutely love it. If you haven't read it or you haven't looked into his theories, like so awesome, check it out. Um, but I really do feel like, you know, this whole season is series journey. Right. Um, and she's still kind of in that kind of like stuck in between she's being helped by mentors and things like that but she's still trying to find her path and find her power and finding the balance in that and part of that is grappling with what this power is capable of doing which is mass destruction Mm -hmm. yeah and I think you know apparently Siri becomes like when I know the whole story is about Siri and her powers Mm -hmm. But it's nice to see, you know, how it all started, right? She's she starts off with this really young sheltered child, especially in sure. season one. 
She doesn't, you know, it's been completely guarded her whole life. She's just been a princess. Everything's been handed to her and she's been protected all the time. Oh yeah. So, you know, to see that transformation is really nice to see how you go from Mm -hmm. A to to Z. Yeah, absolutely. Out of necessity. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else did we see that was um, interesting. Oh yeah. One thing I like when they come into the, um, the, the temple, Carol's Mm -hmm. swords are taken away. And she's like, is that okay? And he's like, oh, we're safe here. Don't worry, there's no politics here. <laughs> the, yeah, sure. The, that, that's I, as soon as know. I saw that, I was like, oh, something's gonna happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because it's like, whenever whenever a character states an absolute or states I, you know, and I did this in Midnight Poppy Land when, when uh, Taurus says, I never lie. And I'm like, you're gonna lie to her at some point oh, out yes. of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, even even in this case, I'm like, oh, anytime there's an absolute, you need to be wary. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And something else that I like. Um, so Nenica talks to um talks to Siri. She's trying to like suss her out and get a feel for who she is. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing Siri is like not so talkative. So she asks her, um, she talks, tells her, you know, we can help you control your chaos. And she's yeah. like, oh, what's chaos? She's like, oh, like daughter of chaos. And she's like, where did you hear that? And she's like, she just totally brushes off and you know takes a drink of water and asks something else. She's <laughs> not answering her. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That that whole scene was actually pretty cool. I like how she's trying to kind of help her come to terms with the, the uh, maybe I'm thinking of a different scene, but the scene where they're in the hall and they're lighting the candles. I exactly, think yeah. that was that was um, you know, it it had its banter for sure. Um, but I think that that was maybe a step towards Siri healing. Mm-hmm. from that moment where she killed those men you know and yeah. like knowing that she will probably have to kill more in the future yeah I honestly hope that Siri finds herself back in the temple of Melitelli for an extended period of time because I think that sure. she would benefit from Nenica's personality oh, yeah. from that atmosphere it seems very peaceful and then from the education that they have yeah yeah and I mean let, let's be real like not that n- you know, I, I know that, you know, sometimes we, we want to, in a perfect world, look at things in an egalitarian way, but, you know, she's basically been brought up in the last few months or so, I'm assuming, I'm in a frat <laughs> house, right? A bunch of men. Yeah. and like, we need that kind of balance, and, that, and that's kind of why I was talking about the feminine divine, because mm. this is something where, you know, she really needs to get in connection with, right, because if, if if the witcher den is all about violence and killing and and even even for the right reasons maybe this can be her way to Mm -hmm. kind of find that balance of like you have you know one of the things that she says to Geralt um uh says to Geralt is I've taught you in all things balance balance right right? and so I think that's part of what Siri needs to learn. So I agree with you. I really hope she gets some time to spend there with Nenica. Um, she yeah. needs it. Yeah. Although I will say her educational methods are interesting because she's like, oh, got it. Come and, you know, show her their obuculum. I know. And she doesn't tell her anything about it or what she's going to do with like, it. She's like, figure it out. <laughs> and Yare is adorable. He's like so anxious and he's clearly know. like, you know, has a crush on Siri and he's so cute i know that was cute and he's like you know she's like uh oh what do i do with this obokulum and he's like oh i don't know it's, it's a major's tool but my tool is i don't want to brag but my tool is much bigger <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's 
almost like the, the, we had to have that moment of levity because shit was about to go downhill and boy, did it go downhill. <laughs> yeah. And I had to say, so Siri, the way she treated him, she was kind of a little bit like, um, she kind of, she had the potential to be, you know, how like when girls are really pretty and there's an already guy who likes wow. them, they could be very cool. Right. Mm-hmm. So she, she kind of started out. She was like, you know, he dropped the, the book and he's, she's like, yeah, oh, your big fat tool almost broke my toe. But then she, and I was like, oh no, she can be a jerk. But then she, you know, she was nice to him. She's like, thank you for showing me around. So I'm like, okay, good. Cause mm-hmm. I hate catty, nasty yeah. girls. <laughs> for people, I'm like, you know? oh, please don't go there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to remember she's also a teenage girl. Right. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. We have to give people room for mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's still going to make them. Um, and I think, you know, because of, you know, his relative youth, it kind of reminded her of, I, I think in a way it kind of reminded her of her own youth because she's had to do a lot of growing up recently. And, and mm. it's just like, wait, I need to backtrack a little bit. Yeah, I could be a little kid. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. So, that's interesting right she she hasn't spent time with kids her age since she really hasn't of Sintra. yeah <laughs> she's been hard. around adults this whole time mm-hmm. uh, i realize a big part of like my conflict with my, with my kids is that i expect them to be like adults right i'm like mm-hmm. why don't you do your homework why don't you brush your teeth by yourself why don't you put your shoes away why don't you put your thing in the dishwasher right i'm like yeah but they're kids yeah. you know yeah so it's a it's, hard balance <laughs> right you have to right she does have to grow up very fast because she's with adults mm-hmm. for sure for sure yeah. Oh, and that last scene, I'm, I'm afraid for Siri, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about what happened. So basically, you know, the, 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 you know, Geralt and Ian have the reunion and we talked about it and they're, they're sitting and, and schmoozing and talking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Geralt tells, uh, you know, um, yeah. And he's like, oh, you're, you know, I met Istrid. I met a former, another dear friend of yours. Right. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and he says that, you know, you're, I heard like all about it. So you're here and because you're hiding from the brotherhood. Right. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> and Daryl is so smitten with her. Like there's this moment where he lies back and he's just like, looking at her with this like total simpy smile on his face. Uh-huh. <laughs> God, he is just like, gone for her oh man and i'm you know honestly i'm sitting here thinking like why why <laughs> I, I i still and maybe i need to go back and re-watch season one but i don't see all i have seen with those two is lust hmm. i i have yet to see anything that remotely represents love to me and granted they've been through some crap together and that's why I'm thinking like this is more of a trauma bond than it is yes. than it is love, actual love. Because Wait. when Geralt is reminded yeah. of his responsibility, his his attention shifts. Mm-hmm. So So I when when I was watching season one, I watched it with, mm-hmm. with Yoel and he had already watched it and we, we we I watched it for the first time while he rewatched it and I kept being yeah. like why is he into her? Why is he into her? She's such a nasty person. I was so I did yeah. not like Anna at all until the last episode of the season when she actually did yeah. something nice, you know, helped people out with Sodden. But then I thought about it. I was like, you know what? The thing they are similar in some ways, and that Geralt has always been a mis- an outcast. He's always been hated by everyone around him. He's always had yeah. to be all alone and by himself. He had to be strong to overcome everyone's hatred. And Yen had a sure. very similar experience. Yen also was always an outcast. Yen had to use her power. She wasn't interested in being liked. She wanted to be powerful because she didn't want to be helpless again like she had always been growing up. Sure. So sure. I saw that similarity and why they would click together. Also, they're very intelligent. 
and yeah. they um, do their own thing. You know, they don't care what anyone else around them tells them to do or wants to yeah. do or social convention. They do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought they were similar for that reason. But honestly, I think like I said before, Gerald's too good for her. Gerald is a yeah. good guy. <laughs> and honestly, is- like, <laughs> I don't, oh God, I really hope they're not end game. <laughs> they're for sure end game i i mean just any brief cursory thing of the internet they're end game (laughs) they probably are and it is what it is but i just oh god they're gonna have to do some hard convincing for me to to look beyond what they've already established so i will say i've I've read a lot of commentary on the internet where people say that book yen is not bitchy like this yen they say that netflix yen is like selfish and apparently this whole thing that she does here does not happen in the books like um gotcha okay with Voloth Meir betraying Siri doesn't happen in the books in the books Geralt calls her and they just she trains her right and that's it uh-huh. like so this whole betrayal doesn't happen so yeah um and then apparently okay. she's like she's you know she's she's strong-minded in the books and she's got an attitude in the books and she has a you know wit in the books but she's not like selfish and um emotional and traumatized like she is here you know okay okay so be interesting yeah see how I they're mean, gonna I haven't, I haven't read the first book but this yeah. is probably gonna be yeah I'm gonna have to dive into the books then I mean as per usual like I this is why I I watch the show first and then I read the books because over and over and over again, if I start with the books yeah, and then I watch the show, inevitably I'm disappointed and I'm focused on all of the things that they did wrong. <laughs> Completely, completely agree with you. And I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now in terms of book reading because I did read the first book because that everything happened. But like, for example, I was told, oh yeah, it's safe to read, you know, every book corresponds to every season. So season one is The Last Wish and season, you know, two is A Blood of Elves. So like, don't worry, you won't be spoiled. But then turns out um, one of the stories from The Last Wish is in season two. So I'm like, I would have been spoiled if I would have read it before. So I really don't want to be spoiled. So I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't want to read... I'm anxious. And, I'll, and also, I know once I start reading the books, I'm going to compare. A lot. The truth is, at this point, I think I'm able to separate them because I watched the show first. So I have like the show and then the book yeah. was like something different. But yeah, if it had been the other way around, for sure, um, yeah. it would have been, I would have been not happy. So <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. So maybe my ire for Yennefer is not warranted. <laughs> no, but listen, within the show's story, mm-hmm. you have to take what you see it in front of you, right? Sure, like, sure. Yeah, if they if they make her character a certain way then that's what she mm-hmm. is in, in the show you know yeah it'll be interesting to see how it plays out though because like i'm nervous as hell for siri at this point i'm like oh god what is she gonna do to siri <laughs> yeah okay so basically so let's get in with what happens right um siri comes out of bed she she lights candles with with nemeka and she mm-hmm. she lights one for roshan for malsack people she talks about uh you know misses and and um and then she mentions her grandmother she says you know my grandmother loved me a lot but she hated the elves and that was, it's a big thing for Siri because uh, I think it's very, very, very important and poignant that the people that you love can also do bad things. And, yeah. okay, so most of us know people who, like, we love them and they do, like, small bad things. Like, they, I don't know, they yell sometimes or maybe they steal or maybe they, like, I don't know, like, who knows what, get into car accidents. Yeah, but, like, yeah. Siri's grandma is, like, mass murderer level of bad things, you know? <laughs> right, right. There was... Like. There was a quote, and I can't remember what it was. Maybe I wrote it. Hang on one sec. I wrote it down because it was just so poignant to me. And I think it was it was Vesemir that said it. 
um, it was it was the episode four, I think, because the Siri was, you know, questioning like, you know, with with her grandmother hating the elves. I think it was um, said, sometimes we hate the things about ourselves that we can't that, change. That we can't change. Yeah, yeah. That's that we can't exactly change about ourselves. Was. And I'm like, oh God, talk, talk about hitting you right in the gut. But I mean, it's true. Like, there's something about yourself that you can't stand, and and so so you you deal with it by not dealing with it and you avoid yeah. it and you hate you end up creating this hatred for it that's um, funny there's this phrase in in the talmud it says kalha posal the muma posal that whenever you observe somebody you know with a fault it's really your own fault and you recognize it because you have it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah absolutely it's it's total it's mirroring it's absolutely <laughs> mirroring and and that's that's the hard part and you know newsflash you go to therapy guess what you're going to be doing <laughs> you're going to be working on accepting the parts of yourself that you don't like um mm. so i don't know changing. Yeah. right and cha or changing some of those things that you don't like for sure um so i i love that that's incorporated here and i love that it's included mm. that, that quote hit me like a ton of bricks yeah oh. So and Nenika, nice. so Nenika's like response to that, she mm -hmm. is more encouraging. Like she's like, okay, you, you recognize the reality. Now, what are we going to do to move past it? And she tells her, right. no, you can, it, it was, you know, um, you can break the cycle of hate, which I think is, I don't know where they're going to go with this. I don't know whether in the books or the show, whatever. Um, sure. But Siri is the key to everything, right? Like she has the yeah. power, but maybe because she's both human and elven and a royal and has that power maybe she can be the unifying factor for everybody right and bring everyone together sure sure gosh i hope so that would be great <laughs> well hopefully the story has a happy ending but we won't know for many seasons <laughs> you know i always i'm the type that always assumes unless a story shows me right away it's meant to be a tragedy i'm like of course it'll have a happy ending <laughs> yeah that's because i'm an optimist <laughs> so yeah oh goodness but yeah there, there'll be sad things along the way i'm sure mm -hmm. um so anyway meanwhile while she's lighting the candles yen and Geralt are having a heart-to-heart -heart. at the end I can't, I can't believe this girl sometimes she's like you hurt me i'm like you're about to take his child you this is what you're talking about now you're telling him he hurt you really yeah. what is it all she's about so you selfish. I know. So selfish. oh my god um, also can i be reminded yet you're the one who left him on the mountain okay you said right you figured out that there was something to do with a wish which he never even clarified you don't even know you just like jumped to conclusions frankly and then you're like you dumped him and you're like and you, you know said nasty things to him and now you're like you hurt me <laughs> right i don't know li listen yennefer i don't know if you're out there <laughs> but if you have if you mages have like y'all's form of like i don't know clerics or therapists or whatever honey get you into some therapy because <laughs> who you are all over the place you are all over the place like oh god she uh, like i i don't i don't know what to feel about her character half the time because she's all <laughs> over the place so this thing that she just did where she took something that she did and blames him for it Mm -hmm. it's toxic super toxic oh sure sure um she did the same thing so remember when she goes to the artist in season one and she's like you mm -hmm. know um makes me beautiful right and he's like yeah okay, there, there's a price and she's like i don't care you know and he's like you won't have kids again right and she's like do it i don't care and then mm -hmm. so she does it right and then 30 years later when she's like bored with her life and realizes that being a maid on the court was not satisfying at all she's like oh 
they took my choice. Like, no, you took your own choice, honey. Quit playing the victim. Oh my gosh. And, and I think, I think that's the hard part for me with her is that she hasn't reached the point where she has the revelations that it's not like she doesn't see her own role in her own disasters. And, and don't get me wrong, a lot of people don't, but she really doesn't, right? Like she automatically assumes the victim role. And, and I'm like, honey, no, oh gosh, quit participating in your own demise and blaming it on other people. So there's this fantastic story. I'm going to do another Talmud story. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a man named Rebel Eliezer, and he was a really bad guy his whole life, like bandit, mm-hmm. murderer, whatever, right? Terrible guy. Right. And, and he, it was towards the end of his life and he was about to die. And he calls out and he's like, you know, mountains, hear me. And he's like, and it's like, oceans, hear me. And, mm-hmm. you know, earth, hear me. And basically he was trying to blame everyone for his problems, right? There's a, it's a metaphor. He's like mountains, you know, my, my society, earth, yeah. and my parents, um, my community, my community, my personality, my biology, like he's trying to blame everyone else. And then mm-hmm. like, a, a, I think it was like a, you know, a voice comes from heaven and says, you know, um, something or the other is like, you know, none of this is your, you can't blame this for your problems. And he finally like puts his head on his knees and he's like, I did it. And then he, and then he dies, but like peacefully because he, yeah. he finally accepted responsibility for his behavior. Sure. Something sure. Like that. I have to, and then, oh yeah, I think, and then it's about him. It said, you know, uh, uh, I think something like there's, you know, um, no, after he died, when, when he finally accepted responsibility, a voice came out from heaven and said, there are people who work their whole lives to acquire a place in heaven, but there are people who acquire their place in heaven in a moment. And he's one of them. Basically mm-hmm. showing how, you know, how hard it is to accept responsibility for yourself and how yeah. um, worthy it is to do so. I have to look up the actual story because I want oh, to get yeah. it right. But it's such a, such a good point. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's so true. You know, so much people, they, they put themselves like, and, and, well, let me backtrack. So, you know, things happen to people, right? There's things that, that happen to us that we have no control over. And of course, it's going to impact the things that we do and how we interact with our world, right? And it's usually because we don't, we we haven't connected that the way that I'm acting is a way for me to protect myself against mm-hmm. the world, right? This happens a lot with trauma. And I think this happens with Jennifer, sure. And and I do, I do have a lot of sympathy for her in that regard, but I need her to look at how she's participating in her chaos. And that's kind of why I love that they call the magic chaos. Yes, perfect. Because it's, it's such a metaphor for, and, and I love that it's highly connected to emotion because here's the thing, you can sit there and you can say, okay, I know I, I'm, I'm trying to protect myself because of the things that have happened to me. So I'm going to shut things out and this, you know, I'm going to connect to the ways that give me power, right? Because then I don't feel vulnerable. There's power in vulnerability too, because mm-hmm. then it means that you can accept the side of yourself that is hurting, right? And, and people feel like they have to like build this armor around themselves when really what they need to do is shed the armor and have boundaries, right? Jennifer has no boundaries. She just, like, she bursts into people's lives and bursts right back out of them, you know? Um, and and she, hasn't, she hasn't come to a point where she's accepted herself. That's the thing, right? She doesn't love herself. And until no. you, love, you love yourself, nothing is going to be right. The baby's not going to help it. What Gerald told her in season one, he's like, yeah, magic can help you. The baby's not going to help you. Like you have to love yourself. That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that's a long journey. 
that is a very mm-hmm. long journey, you know, and, and it means loving yourself essentially means like you accept both the good, the bad and the ugly of yourself mm-hmm. right. and, and work on it, you know, so I can sit like, just like we were talking about, you know, sometimes we can be overbearing with other more timid people. Part of recognizing that in ourselves, and I say that because I do that too, um, is, you know, okay, I need to practice the opposite. I need to pull back and I need to give some room for others to have that space and to be able to speak up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and because then that allows alternative perspectives to come into our lives and we can learn things from other people. So that I want Jennifer to do that. (laughs) And, you know, this is actually the reason why there are a lot of people who are upset with the change in Jennifer's character from the Mm books. We're sure. But I actually, again, I don't, I don't know how much the authors uh, of the writers, sorry, of the show are are intending this, but I, I like to see that flawed character um, try to, well, we'll see if she, you know, where she ends up, but like, sure, where you have someone who has a lot of flaws and coming from trauma, probably, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you know, doesn't always do the right thing. I like that, sure. you know, I think it's so many people, you know, have experiences like that and aren't perfect people. And I think that, yeah especially if she ends up, you know, redeeming herself, it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. Does she, does she get that in her character arc? And I think we're seeing glimmers of that, right? So when she was helping Yaskir and, um, helping that other, that person out of that, I don't even remember, like she was trying to save them from that octopus thing, you know? (laughs) Um, so, you know, part of me wonders, you know, is that going to be part of her character arc where she finds that, true acceptance of herself and then also is open to you know letting herself be vulnerable to another human being truly being vulnerable right mm-hmm. um because yep. she's all about armor mm-hmm. she's all about that emotional armor so it'll be interesting to see for sure yep. yeah so in their conversation um you know she she tells him that Yaskir is in trouble in in Oxford, right and uh-huh. now he knows and she says that the fire mage is looking for you. And it's fine. So he has some information that he needs. And then Geralt tells her, he's like, your heart has been beating fast this whole time, right? Because he has witcher senses. And mm-hmm. he's like, why are you here? Right? So at first you're like, uh-oh, is the game up? Is she going to tell him and like redeem herself and drop her plan? Nope. No. <laughs> nope. God damn it, Yennefer. She's like, well, I have some wounds that haven't healed, which is true. But he's like, mm-hmm. He, of course, assumes that it's says she hasn't had a child and that she's just here on her yet again, you know, trying to get a child. And sure. she's like, yeah, she lets him believe that because. <laughs> yep. Yep. She's not there yet. She's not there yeah. yet. So now we have the last part of the story. Siri is um, reading Ethelene's prophecy and then she sees um, there's blood on the floor and Yari's book. So she follows it. She sees Yari on the floor and poor guy, right? And then oh. this is a fight. Rians comes in and the Michelet brothers come in and there's this fight, which, you know, I'm, I know um, people who are into fight scenes have varied opinions on it. Like some love I, I don't pay much attention. Like, yeah. I'll be honest with you. This was like, oh, this. And, and the only comment I have about that fight scene is that they did the stupid cheesy Matrix crap. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay so whatever. I haven't watched Matrix in like 15 years. Is that the one mm-hmm. with the tooth pulled out? Is that a Matrix thing? It, it was the part where um, dude is dodging the bullet and okay. it just like the slow-mo stuff, like it just reminded me of that. I'm like, guys, that's like <laughs> 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I've been reading, uh, reading or watching or listening to commentary about this episode, and and mm-hmm. you know there are people who can analyze a fight scene. I'm like, I'm not one of them. I'm like, no, no me neither. Me neither. <laughs> like, I, hats yeah. off to y'all who do. That's usually the part where I'm like skimming through. <laughs> Yeah, that, it's so interesting, right? Everyone focuses on different things. Like I've been mm-hmm. looking at behind the scenes. So I like I I've seen the Instagram channels of the choreographers, you know, the people yeah. who coordinate these scenes, and it's like, oh yeah, someone has to do that. Like this is there's mm-hmm. a lot behind. Oh yeah, it. for sure. But like I don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's hard for I'm like I'm so deep dived into the character aspects and the human mm-hmm. aspects of it that I don't much pay attention to the action scenes. <laughs> and that may be to my detriment. There may be things I'm missing, and it's entirely possible. But, um, but yeah, this this whole scene again. I would love to know where this guy, how he knew that they were in the temple. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, oh well, if he was listening in, right? So in the beginning of the episode, um, uh, Vesemir tells Trist that, that he guesses that they're going to Nenica. So, oh, okay. Um, and, that well, and he tells them. He actually tells Lydia that that they're going there. So I guess he overheard them. Okay. Although, again, the timing with the medallion um, shivering is should have been really before, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> we'll forgive it for now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they have this fight, and then he's like, oh, you know, Yenji takes Siri. Okay, it's so... Oh. It, there's a little bit of, like, um, I don't know, there's yeah. a about plot, like, it's it's a little bit too convenient, you know? Yeah. Yen should be fighting, right? In a normal world, Geralt would expect Yen to fight. Right. Which is magic. But he doesn't seem to question that she just takes Siri away. And then they yeah. just randomly go into this room, which is like, if I was trying to get away from <clears throat> people, I would go out into the open, right? Not lock myself right. into the room. It's like really unstrategic. Yeah. Um, and then Siri is like, um, the obiculum starts vibrating. So Yen's like, oh, it's magic and it's not mine. So she realizes Siri has magic. Mm-hmm. Um, why Siri doesn't question why Yen is not doing anything. Yen's was yeah. really powerful. It's like, oh. It could just and be the, the chaos of the moment, just because they've been blindsided and attacked. And, you know, so I think I think that's part of it. But yeah, for sure. I don't know why Geralt hasn't really questioned at this point. Like, why didn't she use her magic when they first, like, came through the door? Because she hasn't told him that she doesn't have her magic at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Rience is, so they, so they lock themselves in. They shoved a, a lot of people criticize this and it's true. They shoved a statue in front of the door and somehow this sufficiently blocks Rience, who's a super powerful mage, from getting yeah. in. It doesn't seem like a very heavy statue because they literally just pushed it there. And, right, um, right. And then he's like flaming at the door and somehow it takes, I don't know, it just seems like he should really be able to get in much faster, but whatever. Sure, um, sure. And then Siri, you know, manages again with five seconds of instructions. She just repeats some words and she opens it. I know. It, it, it's a little too, too easy. Convenient, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Siri disappears through it. But then at that point, you know, Geralt comes rushing in and, or rushing mm-hmm. by the door and um, he's a stop. And like, yeah, and says, I wish I could. And she goes, so a couple of problems with this. Why doesn't Geralt rush in to like, right. grab Yen or try to grab Siri or whatever? He just stands there. And then Yen's yeah. reaction was like, also not that emotional. It was like, uh-huh. I wish I could. It was a little bit flat to me. I sure. Felt like, again, she has to express the turmoil that she hopefully feels with like, I'm uh-huh. kidnapping your child, you know? <laughs> yeah, she's... 
And, and maybe, maybe that's what we're meant to see. I don't know, because she just, it, for someone to have that kind of turmoil, they'd have to not feel resolute in what they're doing. And I think Jennifer feels resolute mm -hmm. in what she's doing. Um, so, so I think, I think maybe, maybe the heartbeat moment was supposed to tell us something. I don't know, like where he sensed her heartbeat rapidly, yeah. but yeah, I was like, oh God, it's all gone to shit. <laughs> Yep. And yeah, they wake up somewhere and the last thing we see is them rushing, you know. Yeah. It'll be interesting. So I will have to follow up with you when I finish the, the yes. other two episodes. I totally give me your reaction. Oh man. But thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of drama. And I'm so happy we were able to have like real in-depth psychological discussion. And I know, you know, I knew that's what I was going to be able to do with you. So I'm so happy. <laughs> Uh, that's my jam. You know how I roll. Yep. Any, any final things you want to say before we close off? Um, I think just overall with this season, I think that while I really love season one, um, I really appreciate that this season is more linear and mm -hmm. it has a little <laughs> bit more of a flow to it because it's easier to follow. Um, and, and again, like we were talking about earlier, I really like that this has become more of series hero's journey and kind of figuring out who she is and, and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm interested to see how she handles Yennefer because yes, I, yeah. I, Siri is very perceptive mm -hmm. and she knows when people have ill intentions. And so I'm wondering when she's going to pick up on that. Well, you'll, you'll get to see some of it in the next two episodes. So. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Awesome. This was great. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. <laughs> Sounds good. See y'all later. All right. Bye. Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libris, Lily, Jenny, Haley, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, George, Del Saucy, Tacos, Meg, Anna Rose, Priya, Alexa, Misty, Joanne, Patty, Imelda, Esther, I'm watching the people, Tori, Papacy, Marie, Evelyn, James, Jen, Erin, Jane, Lily, Beckett, Miranda, Christine, Sadie, Kelly, Danielle, <coughs> Teresa, Mrs. Castaldo, and Carrie. Your support is truly appreciated.